Welcome to Australian Hunger, I am your host Ben, and on today's show I've got an interview with Doug from Hamina, a Sydney progressive metal band. Um, but before I get to that, um, sincere apologies to Doug from Hamina and um, to Arbrinth, who I'll be playing an interview with next week, because I actually recorded this um, interview, uh, I don't know, maybe in two months ago, whenever everything sort of swung into action with coronavirus. Um, and, you know, I sort of lost, I don't know, the, the sort of drive, ability, motivation, however you want to phrase it, um, to really kind of move forward with the interviews, edit them, put them out as podcasts. At the beginning of the um, sort of quarantine, social distancing, there was certainly a lot of people talking about, you know, it's such a great opportunity. There were people like Isaac Newton, William Shakespeare, John Milton, who made incredible accomplishments during their various quarantines from plagues. It's kind of not exactly like that. The the feeling, you know, you can say, like, you've got more time, but there are so many different other aspects to it. There is a feeling of bizarreness, of otherworldliness when you're in uh, quarantine. And that makes it kind of very difficult to be motivated for these kind of projects, for these kind of hobbies. It's not just enough to say, well, you've got extra time, you should be even more productive. Unfortunately, it certainly hasn't worked like that. But hopefully, um, you know, I've, I've been feeling a little bit more motivated. I'm trying to be getting myself motivated, um, and it seems to have happened. So let's hope it's all steam ahead, and let's hope that, you know, I'm wishing everyone well who has been affected by coronavirus, wishing everyone well who is, you know, uh, in some sense, you know, suffering the effects of social distancing. But uh, it's unfortunately a very necessary approach to get through this and let's hope that you know we'll through our efforts and hopefully it's a little bit more questionable about some of the other countries but um, through the world's efforts we might be able to get through this and approach something uh, like normality and we might be able to sort of approach a normal life and get back to some of the better things that we've been missing out on um, but uh, enough of that so I was fortunate enough to talk to Doug from Hamina they released their last album Night Echoes last year and they were in the. They were looking to do a festival, which unfortunately fell through. But I think we may as well do the interview anyway. There are Night Echoes. Obviously, like any bands that I've interviewed, and like any bands, you know that uh, you know obviously suffering because of lack of income, lack of exposure. I encourage you to go to their band camp and check them out and, and buy their records. And the songs that I played during the interview were "What's the Catch" and "We Will." This is Doug from Hamina. Douglas Skeen is a vocalist and guitarist for Sydney progressive metal band Hamina, whose album Night Echoes was released last year. Doug, thank you so much for chatting to me. Hey man, it's great to be here. Good to have another chat. It's been a little while since the album came out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if we'll get into the reason why we're chatting, <laughs> despite the fact that... We might as well. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so maybe we might chat a little bit about that later. But I first want to start off with some general stuff about the band, then talk a little bit about the album. Um, yeah, that's cool, man. Just a general question. Like, how, how did the band start? Oh, I think uh, Hamina started between me and a friend I had at uni back in the day. We were pretty much big metal fans and into a lot of progressive rock and that kind of thing. And we just wanted to make something that sounded very different to what other bands were doing in Australia in particular. I was playing in another band, Anubis, which I'm still in that band nowadays. And uh, I was looking for something with a bit more of a metal avenue as well to do like big conceptual kind of music with a lot of keyboards but maybe like a more of a metal angle than what Anubis was doing at the time so eventually started meeting meeting uh, f- friends who were looking for bands at the time and the lineups changed quite a bit since back in the day but that, that was the main the main driver making some original progressive sort of metal sounds and where did the name come from 
And I was trying to come up with something that sounded a bit mystical and a bit like heavenly. So I was just looking through lots of different, uh, different uh, languages, ways of saying like heaven or ethereal and all those kind of things. And apparently it's a proto-Germanic word for heaven. Uh, even if that's not true, it's kind of stuck now. <laughs> and uh, it had a pretty good search engine uh, optimization as well. So there's not a lot of other things that you find when you search it up. So if anyone's ever heard of us and they know the spelling, they'll be able to find us from pretty easily. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting. I was struggling to find out. You know, I like to, even though you know, I'm asking the question, I kind of like to have an idea if maybe that's going to inform the question I'm going to ask. And the only thing I could find out is apparently in uh, Latin it was used by the Romans for some kind of measurement. <laughs> yeah, so, it's apparently some, like, two two pints, I think it is. It's, like, just under a litre, I, I think. A wine measurement. That's You can buy haminas of wine, apparently. Yeah, I was, I was interested if there was a, some other meaning. So, there's no, there's uh, no piss-head alcoholic take on the name, man. It's just a <laughs> pure coincidence. I mean, that's bold to name yourself after <laughs> a, a, a unit of measurement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, long neck didn't sound right. So <laughs> let's talk about a little bit about the album. Um, it's interesting because this was you, you talk about albums and like what does it mean to like make a never another album? Like you release an album, it has a certain sound. You release another album, it has a certain sound. It differs and is similar to the one that takes it precedes it. With this album, yeah. what were you kind of aiming for? What were your thoughts about, like, this is the kind of music I want to make this time around? Well, there's been a few changes, as you said. Like, you can always hear, like, the thread of the band throughout all the rest of the albums, but we've made a decent sort of a change each album that's come along. But the first album we did, Synthetic, was, like, very, very proggy, not a lot of repeating sections, very long. We tried to go a bit more catchy on the second album, Nebulae, and then I guess the third album was definitely the strongest thing we'd done at the time venus which had a lot of it was very long had a lot of um groovy genty elements to it i think i was getting a little bit uh sick of the the genty sound that every band was doing where it sounded like mashuga ripoffs even though we didn't really lean so heavily into that sound before i just kind of got a bit sick of that sound and wanted to aim for something maybe a bit more on the rock sort of spectrum um it was trying to aim really to make it a very emotional sounding album because uh, I, I didn't have any real aspirations to make it some big, tough-sounding thing. Uh, I think the last two albums kind of have certain fans that prefer one album over the other, which is cool. I mean, it's better than uh, everyone just thinking one album's a good one and everyone thinking one album unanimously is a bad one. So it's really that emotional angle and uh, trying also to fit something onto a single vinyl length. That was actually something definitely I was thinking about, going back to that classic length of an album, because probably the biggest criticism we had in the past is that our stuff was too long. So we tried to be a bit cutthroat with that this time. I was going to ask this question a little bit later, but like in terms of aiming for a vinyl, writing for a vinyl, like talk a little bit, how, how do you kind of approach that? Well, a lot of times back in in the past, I've just thought about uh, it being a long journey across 75 or 80 minutes and I've thought of it, I guess like a film across the whole the whole album. And this time it's just a condensed version of that really. You have to you have to break the journey into two parts. Most commonly it's like it's easy to find the beginning and the end song of an album. So definitely with this album, Flicker was always known. I knew that would be the last track, just especially because of the way the vocal outro was there. And then the only way it always was going to be the opening track. So it's kind of then filling in the gaps between those spots and finding like a nice um, a dynamic kind of exit off the first side of the album and a nice intro back into the, the second half. And just seemed to naturally, those songs we had written fit into that, that groove. And it was a good challenge as well. Sometimes you got to challenge yourself with an album to do things different than you did in the past. And that 45-ish minute limitation was, was good to give it a bit of focus, I thought. Just getting back to like the general kind of sound of the album, it was, it was kind of... I'll, I'll mention this a little bit later, but as well, but like I, I don't have very good musical vocabulary, but it kind of had a like you like you said a rocky feel. This kind of very lead in terms of vocals and guitars. I felt there was mm-hmm. a lot of that, especially kind of there was some like really you know intense kind of flourishes in the vocals. Like you're really sort of going for it in like a song like the only way. Talk a little bit yeah, about that yeah. aspect of the album. I think the vocals have been a pretty big focus for us, especially when it comes to all the harmonization we've done. Uh, I th- 
I think those the vocal flourishes come from not really listening just to metal and listening to other genres. Like I like a lot of I like a lot of pop and R and B stuff as well. And so there's something I find if you try and then take inspiration from the genre outside of metal and bring it in, you might have a bit more of a different sound there. Just really just channeling lots of different um, influences together. Some of like the gospel sort of vocals and that kind of stuff. I think that you can hear that in the only way. Someone to push it so, you know, was, there was something unique about the delivery on the, the solos and also especially the vocals. I think we had the most varied vocals in this album. Yeah, absolutely. It just in terms of the length of songs, like – Specifically, trying to write a shorter album, um, I think you know there, there is a, so there are three longer songs on Just Venus than on this entire album. Is, is it like <laughs> a yeah? And um, within Technicolor, it's only about twenty seconds shorter than the fourth longest song on Venus. Um, is it is it specifically trying to approach songwriting in a different way to sort of bring that down a bit those lengths? What was it that um, sort of enabled you to get, sort of deliver this particular sort of lengthy album? Some, sometimes I think it's uh, fun to play shorter length songs live as well. And just it, it is a different challenge um, trying to get it condensed and impactful within like that three and a half to five minute kind of length. It's just a good personal challenge just so you don't feel like you're repeating it again because each one of these albums, we we all work full-time. This is music we do on the side. And if you're dedicating like a year to two years of your life split out across that working on an album, it's hard to then take that exact um, long period of time and make a very, very similar album to the one beforehand. You would you feel like you're just retreading the same steps and it would be very, very hard to stay committed the whole time. So I think this complete challenge to do the shorter length songs was good for us. It just felt like a fresh way of doing it. That's not to say that in the future there won't be a lot of long songs. I think that the long songs actually are something we usually do pretty well. Uh, so it wasn't like we were turning our back on these longer, more epic tracks. I think you will see, at least if, um, on what we're currently working on now, there should be an, an EP coming out this year, and it's it's going to be two two longer songs and uh, and maybe like a six and a half ish minute song. So there's definitely some epic stuff to come. It's just something different for that that period in time. Yeah, a six minute song. You know, a short song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read an interview, I think it was back when you first released um, the first album, and I think you mentioned that you were using software to notate everything first before you sort of proceeded um, sort of further into, you know, approaching those songs. How has your writing sort of changed or similar to how you first started with the band? Definitely there's still a lot of that notation being done first like we still use guitar pro probably we're still using the same version of it that we would have been using back when the band first started in like 2010 it's a pretty old piece of software now but i feel like that's a good way of uh taking the production element out of the song and actually making sure that notes you're picking themselves are working quite well and it also helps for the rest of the band learning the songs because they're pretty elaborate arrangements you don't just necessarily come with it on the fly as you're improvising together you need to take some time and plan the songs out so we definitely still do that i would say when it comes to like writing at solos and um and definitely in terms of notating the drums that doesn't happen in the same way anymore uh, I, I try to leave the drums unwritten so that nathan can actually fill it in as much as he wants because we had written a lot of drums on venus and it was always this this thing of uh feeling challenged when you hear what Nathan would come up with. Like it'd be really good what he came up with, but you're used to hearing things a certain way. So I didn't want to limit his writing and his ownership of the music by writing all the drums out for him. But there's still a lot of notation. Just I don't think we notate really the solos or the, or the drums anymore. But Nathan has his own kind of writing procedure. He'll, he'll program drums um, just to make sure it works for the track and we'll keep workshopping that back and forth. And when we're happy with it, then we'll eventually go in and record record the drums for the tracks. So it's, it has changed a bit. I think even moving forward now, there'll be less notation and more just like writing songs straight away into like uh, into the DAWs. Like we, we all have recording setups, but um, in the past, yeah, I think more like Mitch is right. Mitch is one of the big writers as well in the band. He'd done a lot of his writing just on the notation. And it's always been recorded at my place as getting the demos together where I think that might change a little bit more in the future. Mm-hmm. So, 
this goes back to me having a very limited musical vocabulary. So I've had some spare time recently and I've tried actually learning music theory and like I understand some of the concepts, but I don't really properly grasp yet how the music theory mm-hmm. translates to like writing good music. Like, uh, so watching you and reading your interviews and you talked a little bit about, you know, your musical concepts like time signature, you use mm-hmm. a Mixolydian mode in uh, We Will, you use different uh, keys in flat. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering like how explicitly you think about music theory, those kind of concepts when you make your songs. Uh, it, most of the time I would say it's descriptive and it's not a prescriptive approach. So you're not going into something with the musical theory in mind, but you can use it to describe what you come up with afterwards. Like a lot of stuff, you're going to do it based on intuition and instinct for a certain musical sound. And it's just based upon what your brain wants to hear from listening to like tens of thousands of hours of music over your lifetime. Right. So that's the same with me. I do. I have taken a lot of time to learn theory because I just find it interesting. I like that scientific approach of getting into the nuts and bolts of things and, and really understanding it. But I rarely, rarely am thinking of music theory as I'm writing something. It's nearly always by ear and I'm trying to then um, like take down what I'm hearing in my head. I, I would probably use it sometimes when I'm, when I'm writing like chords and figuring out certain chord voicings, how to go between two or when I'm writing vocal harmonies, the, the theory can make things a little bit quicker then. But a lot of the other stuff is just really instinctual. I want to chat about a couple of songs. Some of the parts that stood out to me, just just out of interest, not um, you know, not saying uh, anything in particular about the songs, but like the start of one shot. That was a very kind of I don't know, like a little short bit of kind of interest. Talk a little bit about that section of that song. I think this was also one of those attempts to do something a little bit different where you almost feel like you're hearing a section of music in a space. So it was like a little short musical idea where almost had like that choir vocal part starting beforehand. And originally I didn't have a plan to be like where it was uh, like for people that, that don't know what you're talking about. It's kind of like you're hearing a little gospel session, the beginning of a choir warming up. It's almost like it's in the middle of like a church session like that before the track jumps in. Uh, so we took that musical idea and then we put all of it together in like one reverb space. So it almost sounds like you're in the room listening to that part. So that was something that just emerged as we started recording. It wasn't necessarily intended like that. And I, luckily the guys let me kind of do that silly kind of intro. Like I, I think it's pretty cool. It's something a bit different, but um, it, yeah, it's just one of those spur of the moment kind of things that emerged as you starting to build the tracks up. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've called Flat Out as one of, I think, your favourite tracks on the album as well as uh, mm. in Technicolor. But for Flat, it strikes me it has a very different rhythmic feel to a lot of the rest of the album. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, talk a little bit about that and how that emerged. Well, I guess just purely by the fact that um, it's one of the more acoustic songs with a where the heavy guitars are not throughout the whole track, it allows itself to be interpreted rhythmically quite differently. I mean, you have Everything Unsaid, which is an acoustic track, but that's really like an unaccompanied sort of song. It's just acoustic guitar and vocals. Flat had um, orchestral layers and a lot of acoustic guitars and a very, very soft um, vocal delivery for a lot of it. It would be hard to have that same um, really like percussive, syncopated rhythm going throughout it. And in the middle section of the song, even when it does get heavy, is like a very, I would say, like almost like a doomy kind of sound there that's not really heard in much of our other stuff. Just, it's just like when we were writing it, we didn't want it to sound like any of our other previous songs, man. So that's just how it came out. And any any uh, specific drum ideas, I guess that's down to Nate's interpretation of the song. He, his drums he wrote for are actually very different to what I would have imagined in my head beforehand. But that's kind of the great thing about collaboration and when you're working with people that you really like their music ability. Now, like, for, for like you guys as a musical outfit, very versatile in that, you know, you've got uh, two guitarists, drummer, bassist, but you also, my understanding is, do the keyboards but most mm-hmm. of you guys can sing, and so you've got lots of different stuff going on throughout the entire record. But you also have a few other vocalists and musicians on the album. When do you see that you're like, hmm, maybe we need someone else as well? One of the things we have had on a lot of the records before is like we have a lot of these um, choir layers um, that just aren't us singing. Well, 
maybe like we'd get a guest vocalist in to just like thicken up some of the layers. There's sometimes where I really just want it to be like one of the four of us being heard and really distinctly hearing those different voices. And there's other times where you want it to be more like a crowd is singing it. And I figured it'd be a nice way to involve some of the fans so they feel a bit more autonomy towards the music as well. Um, so we just put the put the feelers out, see if there's any people interested. There's about, I guess, 10 or so people that um, ended up sending us files. Quite a few more people that were interested than that, but just didn't get around to seeing us the stuff in time. So I thought it was just cool. There's a lot of bits where you need that extra lift of like a big screaming, shouty thing and uh, had the desired effect. Even if some of the guys that send through stuff aren't like the finest singers by themselves, when you blend all the voices together, uh, it gives you that, that live crowd kind of experience. Um, just in terms of like the lyrics of the album, like all your albums fit into this sort of conceptual, um, hermenal universe. Yeah. And, but like, they don't sort of, it's not like you're telling a narrative that's like, all right, this is part one, this is part two, this is part three, part four, where it's yeah. like, it's all building up to the final conclusion. All of them have like a key part in a specific narrative. They're kind of like sort of stand as you know yeah within themselves even though they're connected why did you develop that i find that a really fascinating concept i think it's as much for me as it is for any other listener it gives me some sort of guidance in my head and yeah you're right a lot of it is i guess open to interpretation that's why i've tried to give at least some background with each of the albums to kind of see where i'm coming at with it and then people can uh sew it together a little bit in their head i I do see the next um the next ep we're going to be releasing is going to be like the the final cap on the story but it's just i guess i found it uh, interesting to do it through some sort of conceptual story it gave me a gave me a focus for every album and i guess the best way of looking at it is like you can look at the story being about, you know, a mother, a father and a child and how they would experience the world. And they are loosely, like they are loosely connected to each other in the story. There's some small, like lyrical links between it, but you're right. It's not like, it's not like an area on album where it's people having dialogue between each other. It's not so explicit like that. And I didn't really ever want it to be like that. So, I mean, some people might think it's, um, the concepts are too obscure or it's too open-ended, but I, I felt like that's what gives me the most enjoyment out of it. General facts about the album. Why did you choose the title? Uh, it was it was a title suggested by Nathan. He, he was reading through the lyrics, listening to the songs, and I said, "Can you like everyone else in the band?" Because I was the one who wrote a lot of the lyrics. I'm like, I don't want to come up with a title. I want to put it out to you guys. Just kind of keep circulating things and what's a phrase that that sticks out to you. And that one seemed to stick out. Everyone seemed to like it. I think kind of fit in with the the synth wave, the aesthetic of stuff we were listening to at the time. And it did kind of make a lot of sense to me, like the idea of um, Night Echoes. One of the the themes I kind of have uh, throughout the lyrics is the idea of like replaying history, kind of copying the events of the past. So the the sun, which this album is mainly like uh, centered around him replaying a lot of memories and traumas of the past, but also kind of reliving his life in similar ways to how his dad had lived. So it kind of seemed like it was this, um, like weird muted sort of echo of the, of the previous story. I mean, that's an association that came to me afterwards. It wasn't the driver behind the name, but I thought it was a, a cool sort of a connection. Who did they cover it and what was their brief for it? Uh, so I think we, we had worked with a guy, Tristan Tate, before, who's like a very, very talented artist, and he did the other album's covers before. And I think the guys just wanted something a little bit different, especially because we were, you know, trying to go for the slightly shorter songs and that kind of thing, and it kind of uh, leaning into it in a more of a heavy way to do something different to what Venus was. They thought it'd just be nice to have a fresh con- uh, cover art, and I agreed. I think it was I think it was cool. It was a, like a mutual decision to go for that. So we started looking all over the net for like people that were doing this 80s sort of concept art. Uh, it, the cost of getting people to do an original artwork like that really, really ranged a lot. Like it would go from, you know, someone charging you a few hundred dollars to tens of thousands of dollars for or something. So it all depended on the work they had previously done. If they'd happened to have done work for some movie or whatever, they're obviously going to have a very high hourly rate to work on stuff. This guy seemed to be newly getting into it, um, Dominique, and uh, I just reached out to him, and he seemed quite affordable for what he's going to deliver. And we just said we wanted to be not focusing on a person. Like our, all of our other album covers had like a, a human figure somewhere on them. We didn't want to have that. We wanted to be a bit more 
I guess, uh, cityscape-like. So he did about five or six different different cityscapes, and we kind of said this is the one where we, we're liking the direction the most, and then he elaborated on it from there. section of my notes where I usually talk about uh, the live show, if there is such a live show, but uh, I guess there isn't. So, um, um, <laughs> I figured we may as well talk about like the, um, I don't know, the, the uh, elephant in the room. Um, so like coronavirus is going to be affecting a lot of social interaction and uh, you know, gigs are one of those mm. forms of social interaction. And even if maybe, like, they don't go banning smaller things than 500 people, there's possibility that either the venues themselves or some other regulation may inhibit the ability of bands to play shows. I don't know, like, as someone who is specifically affected by that, I'm just sort of wondering about your thoughts, like, what are the feelings of other people in the industry, if you have any, like, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I think you make a very good point that a lot of social interactions will be affected. I'm starting to feel it in my own life from from work, forcing us to work from home. Uh, uh, this this uh, Prog Aid concert that was meant to be there, which I thought had a lot of great bands playing it, unfortunately it hasn't gone ahead. I think potentially, uh, even if it was going to go ahead, it might have got a late cancellation due to all this coronavirus outbreak anyhow. 
there's one other show we have next month and I'm just wondering even if that's still going to go ahead. It would be only quite a small gathering, I would imagine, 100 or less, but it seems that there's generally a trajectory heading towards us not going out at all and kind of keeping very, very protected. Uh, I think there's a lot of businesses, especially the retired to the music industry, that probably survive week to week or at least month to month. And if they get a couple of really bad months in a row, they would be completely fucked, to be honest. So I think that we're going to see that happening quite a bit. And on a personal um, band experience as well, my other band, Anubis, we're supposed to be playing a tour in Japan in May. I don't know what's going to happen with that now. We're kind of at the, at the stage now where it looks very improbable for us to be able to do it, just based on the fact that everyone's going to be doing four 14-day quarantines when they get back. And I mean, for someone working in IT like myself, they can easily work out to be all right. But for some of the guys that are teachers and have to be around young children, that kind of thing, I just don't see how it's going to be possible. So we've seen already massive cancellations like Knotfest in Japan getting cancelled and uh, like South by Southwest cancelled in the US. seems like anything of any sizable kind of gathering is going to get cancelled. So I, I really don't see what the end is in sight. Hopefully it's not too long, but I mean, I think we should be sensible and hold these kind of social action interactions to some level until we're able to flatten out that curve. So I want to talk about some of your other your other work as well as sort of you personally. Um, so you, sure. you've mentioned Nubis um, a, a couple of times. That, that's your other band. I had a good pleasure yeah. to listen to your new album. Um, oh, damn, I don't have it in my notes. The new album, what's it, what's it called, sorry? Homeless. Homeless, that's it, exactly. So the new album, Homeless, um, it was released, I think, on the 10th. Um, so it's only just bit, uh, come out. Talk, talk a little bit about an Anubis. Um, and as you mentioned, it's sort of been a – the band you've been involved in even before um, Hamina. Talk a little bit about how like that sort of it sort of differs from Hamina, and then we'll sort of take the album a little bit more from there. Right. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I always think about Anubis having a bit of a spirit of like seventies prog bands, but with a bit more of a modern rock touch because the guys are really big into all those um, those classic bands. Yes, Pink Floyd, Genesis. Four of the guys played in the Pink Floyd tribute band before, like a really good one. And that was called Shine On, and they they did very authentic performances, that kind of stuff. So a lot of the Floyd influences come through into our stuff, but there's also a fondness of the modern bands like like Radiohead or Mars Volta and that kind of stuff. So it still has much less of a, um, a metal sort of an edge, but there are a lot of commonalities. Like there's a lot of vocal harmonies, there is that conceptual sort of a work there, a lot of keyboard layers and that kind of thing. But I think they they are trying to achieve different things, and I feel like both bands. Uh, tick some musical boxes for me like uh, without the two of them I'd feel a bit incomplete uh, but it's, yeah, it's interesting like sometimes the bands seem to be doing similar things in tandem like we were also kind of at the point where we wanted to do like a shorter album for that vinyl length and we both bands kind of got to that conclusion independently of each other um, but kind of for the same reason that we'd done lots and lots of long albums before and it was nice to do something as a bit of a change I've been in the band since 2006, like December 2006. I used to work with a couple of the guys, um, Rob and Dave, at Pizza Hut, surprisingly, when I, was at their, when I was working there at uni. And they had written this concept album about the passing of one of their friends, and they kind of didn't imagine, like, what would have happened to him uh, if we actually found him. He, he drowned on a holiday somewhere, and I don't think they found his body, so it's kind of like what would have happened to him, you know, they imagined some fantastical land where he was still alive and had written a prog concept around that. But yeah, it's been, the band's been a huge part of my life since I've been uh, 18, 18 through to now when I'm 31. And this is the sixth album. Um, talk, talk a little bit about it, um, sort of how, how, like, when you get up to album six, like, how do you feel about that? Like, um, just that sort of entire kind of, length of that band as you said you know basically dominating your really entire adult life yeah i think that seeing six albums is just very impressive that we've been able to stay so dedicated getting it done because a lot of people even struggle to get like a couple of albums out there but we are very passionate about music and we like religiously meet up pretty much every week for uh, we've been doing a tuesday for like whatever 13 years and I think Dave and Rob, especially the guys who started the band, have always had a crazily good work ethic and they just love music. So they always inspired me to stay a hard worker. They kind of set, uh, I guess, the blueprint for me and showed me how how you can work on an album and get an album finished and 
do all the mixing of it in-house and that kind of thing. So like, I, I always saw that it was possible to make music in a self-produced way and get a good good result and start to build fans overseas. So I, I modeled a lot of that uh, that lesson with Hamina as well from the stuff I'd learned with Anubis. I still think the first Anubis album I worked on, 230503, was probably one of the most significant albums for me just from everything I learned from those guys, it was like a, a crash course in prog because I was not really a prog rock guy before that. I was more of a Metallica, Pantera, Iron Maiden sort of guy. So yeah, so much to learn from in that time. I, I just feel very proud we've got to where we are now and it is quite a different album to what we've done in the past. Shorter songs, again, just to fit that vinyl format. Uh, Anubis had heaps of really long songs before, like 15-minute songs, which we have none of on this album. So, yeah, the response has been pretty good so far, I would say. Just a couple of um, smaller criticisms, but just for what we expected, they were complaining about not having the long songs and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's 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 funny like that. Like As a band, like especially a prog band, like the, the kind of expectation is that you'll be doing something different, but like, it doesn't quite always yeah, work I don't, out. Yeah, I don't have that. a problem with it. I even like bands, like bands I'm a fan of. I like them to do something challenging, and even if I don't always get it, I like the fact they didn't repeat themselves. So I guess not everyone is the same, though. Some people just like to hear the same album from a band they love over and over again with very small differences. Um, another thing you do is you run a, a studio, Plowman Studios, which specializes in the production of prog music. Talk a little yeah. bit about working with, like, a specific kind of music. Like, how, how do you? How does that kind of uh, yeah, I mean, change? I guess like, that, yeah, that's you, you my desire to work on that kind of music. Uh, a lot of times, I've done mixing and like editing and mastering for people that are doing completely different different things uh, to prog. Like, might be some like electronic music I'm doing or some hip hop stuff which I've done for people overseas. Like, it's quite quite varied what you end up getting to do. But I do like it when I get to help work someone work on like a a prog sort of a thing. I've, I've worked on mastering and kind of giving mixed feedback and a lot of um, suggestions with Sydney Ben Genetics before. Who was I'm pretty close friends with those guys. So trying to, I'm trying to set up an interview with them right now. <laughs> are you? Yeah, yeah. Are they being slackers or are they? Uh, no, the bands, <laughs> bands take their time doing things. I understand. Okay, I'll have to get the whip out. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it is it is cool to hear different people's interpretation of what progressive music is, and if I get to help out and give any of my expertise or anything, any way I can help with those people, then that that feels good to me. I I, I would. In, in being candid, I would much prefer to be able to do uh, mixing and production work as my main job rather than working in IT, but doesn't necessarily work so easily like that. So you mentioned that you didn't get into kind of prog music properly until you started uh, uh, playing with Anubis. Talk, talk a little bit about what kind of brought you into it at that time. I think when I, I started jamming with the guys, like just – after midnight shifts at Pizza Hut, we have like acoustic guitars around. They'd be showing me like the initial Anubis ideas. It was like very intriguing to me, but I didn't quite get all the stuff that was going on, especially like all the time signature stuff. It just was breaking my brain. I mean, I'd learn about it in school, school music classes and that kind of thing, but I just didn't get it as an application. So they were they were very keen, as most people are, to kind of share music they loved with me. And a lot of it. At first, I remember listening to like Close to the Edge by Yes and absolutely like could not stand it. It was I thought it was just awful. I didn't have much of a tolerance to any dissonance in music or any like clashing kind of sounds. So it took a while for me to get over that. I always enjoyed Pink Floyd because it was kind of more of a classic rock thing. I like loved the guitar solos, so that was a bit of a, a gateway for me. I just think over time and playing with those guys and wanting to uh, you know contribute to the music they were doing it made me naturally have a bit more of a love towards prog. As I started to listen to it more, I kind of appreciated it. There's definitely down to them, them getting me into it. Um, in terms of your actual sort of playing, like when did you start playing guitar and why did you stick with it? I started playing guitar in 2001 and I initially started playing just pop punk music. That was my thing I loved. I loved all the, the big bands that were around at the time, like the Blink 182s, Green Day, Offspring, all that kind of stuff. And I started hearing uh, like Metallica and just kind of getting blown away because I hadn't really been a metal guy. I, I did listen to um, Limp Bizkit and Linkin Park, but I never really quite connected that to the guitar. It, was, it, it wasn't as, as riffy as like when you first hear Metallica. And I was attracted to 
hearing like this um, skilled sort of a music that had a real like oomph and heaviness to it. It just somehow grabbed me as a as a fourteen year old kid, and I felt I felt a sense of purpose from playing more. I liked I liked feeling that I could achieve something that not necessarily everyone could do. It just gave me a good outlet for expression throughout my teenage years when I was quite a shy person. Now, you mentioned that as well in another interview, um, that sort of you didn't actually take up singing or, like, singing at all, really, until your late teens. Yeah. But, like, but like you're a really good singer. That, that's kind of what fascinates me about that. Talk, talk a little bit about that process of working into, like, from not singing that much mm. to, like, working into, like, a really good voice. I think some stuff kind of came naturally to me with singing, like lower range and middle range stuff was okay, but I just was way too shy to sing in front of everyone back in school, and it wasn't like I was singing in private either. I just did not really sing until I was probably like 16 or 17, like at all. I was not a, no one in my school, even up to year 12 when I was playing guitar in class, would have even known I, was a, I had any interest in being a singer or I was a singer at all. Like, I never sung in, in class ever. I was just always the guitarist guy. But trying to find singers for your, your bands back then or anyone who could um, sing, like, like uh, I was really into power metal at the time. So any guys, there's no one I knew who could sing any, like, high notes or anything like that. So I just progressively just kept trying to learn how to sing myself. I made some good progress in those early days, like, just pretty much trying to scream along to different recordings. But, um... Yeah, I'm still always going to be limited a little bit by having my lower voice, but I do what I can with it, and uh, I'm pretty happy with my my vocal abilities nowadays. Like it's a lot better than what I could do back in the day, and I can usually write what I want to write with my with my ability. So, but definitely just came came more from uh, driving around in my car when I was when I was working at Pizza Hut. That was a lot of a lot of a chance for me to practice singing, and probably my biggest jumps forward probably happened in that 17 to 17 to 20. Um, age group but uh, I think based on the fact that I wasn't always a natural singer from a young age like each album that we do I kind of get a bit better with my skills it's just a bit more refined each time which is which is kind of good a lot of times you get people who are amazing when they were 18 and it's just a gradual decline until they get older and then they can't really sing at all by 60 so hopefully if I keep picking up on this trajectory it'll be I'll still have a decent voice when I'm an old bloke this may be a very difficult question I've just come up with it so you, you talked a little bit about other music you listen to besides sort of prog and metal. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you have any recommendations um, from from other genres besides prog and metal, like a, a, a band or an artist or an album or mm-hmm. anything like that. Sure. Um, okay. Let me just think. So if, if people are into like modern hip-hop stuff at all, I think like Denzel Curry is probably the best thing going in that in that kind of genre at the moment. So any of his last few um, releases you could check out and you would get a cool kind of exposure there. Vocals wise, in terms of harmonies and um, some of the vocal flourishes, any of the early kind of um, New Jack Swing or uh, '90s like R&B albums, especially Jodeci, they're a really big influence on me with some of those. Um, like choral writing and vocal harmonies and runs and that kind of stuff. Um, Diary of a Mad Band, that's probably a really good album to check out. Uh, there's, there's some cringeworthy ones that other people out there will die. I mean, I, I really love the Backstreet Boys album, Millennium, which has came out in the kind of junction between me being in primary school and high school, so it's got a big nostalgic spot for me with that. Um, that, yeah, that, that there's heaps, heaps and heaps of different stuff I like. Uh, and also, I guess another really big one with the vocal writing. Um, I'm into, uh, I guess, a lot of uh, a lot of choral work as well. So, um, I'm trying to think like who would be a great um, Eric Whitaker would probably be the, the the go-to choral kind of composer that would be good to listen to. So, if there's a a record called um, Light and Gold where it's just like a best of all the stuff Eric Whitaker has done. I think that's like very haunting, amazing music to listen to. And final question, um, what have you been listening to, reading, watching or playing lately? Mm, okay. Um, i trying to think about uh, – the band that's probably excited me the most lately is uh, Sleep Token. Uh, there's an album called Sundowning, and they kind of blend a lot of – a lot of that um, modern sort of pop vocal as well with like eight string gent stuff and a lot of uh, ethereal synth work. 
they're very mysterious. Like you don't know anything about the band at all. They're um, run by a guy called Vessel, and you have no idea who he's. Um, whose identity is I think no one knows who he is he might be a famous English singer or it's just it's very mysterious I find that really cool uh, obviously uh, some other really good bands to listen to Dirty Loops they've had some new good songs recently they're kind of like a, a jazz pop kind of fusion band and local locally we have a lot of really good bands too right like Seahorse Voyager and um, and last year's Leprous album was, was sick as well that's probably something worth checking out but number one, Sleep Token, check that band out. They're, they're awesome. track you heard in the middle of the interview was what's the catch thank you again to doug from hamina for chatting to me uh, two months ago again i apologize for 
the amount of time it's taken to get this interview out there. Before I leave you, I want to give you a couple of recommendations for stuff to listen to while you're, you know, we're varying degrees of social distancing, but as we're coming out and we're still sort of trying to keep a little bit to ourselves. First one is a band called Master Massive and their album Black Feathers on Their Graces. And it's kind of this... Uh, these are the, some of the bands who do this stuff really well. They take stuff like 70s prog and incorporate it into something that feels very sort of modern and fresh. In a way, uh, it doesn't feel kind of stodgy. It doesn't feel like they're sort of retreading and just emulating the, the people who you know they've inspired by. It's, it's a really nice journey. Um, it's got these classic guitar tones. Uh, I think we've got a Mellotron in there. A really seventies feel. Um, it's got. It's composed of two longer tracks. I think it's fifteen minutes and eighteen minutes, if I'm not mistaken, and then a three minute track. Uh, nice little sting in the tail. So the first track, you know, I think if it was any longer, it could become close to sort of wearing out to welcome. But I think it, it does well to sort of dynamically and creatively sort of get you through that uh, that length. Um, but you know, if you're not a fan of long songs, maybe this isn't the one for you. Also, I recommend Bloodletting by Mountaineer. It's, I, I think, bands to compare it to, although they're not quite accurate. It'd be Deftones. They've got that really chunky sound to their guitars and those kind of slightly processed, slightly ethereal vocals sort of going through it, going over the top of it. Meaty sounds combined with a really nice clean voice. And some of also does remind me of Jezu, that kind of droney shoegaze approach. So really, this band is, it's like you've got a sort of slightly post-rock shoegaze band and they made a, you know, really chunky doom metal record, which has that kind of repetitive feel that you might find in post-rock or shoegaze. You know, I, I think the real thing that really makes it, as I've been mentioning, is the heavy doom element of it. It's sort of comes through and sort of washes over you. And I, I think that really is not necessarily key to all Doom Metal records, but in this case, I think it really, really, really makes the album work. So check those both out, Bloodletting by Mountaineer and Black Feathers on Their Graces by Master Massive. You can check me out on social media at OzHunger, that's AUS Hunger on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can also send me an email, australianhunger at gmail.com. Any comments, questions, or if you're a band you want to set up an interview, maybe we can get something sorted out. But until next week, stay safe, and I will catch you then.